Welcome back to Dwight Explains the Bible. Season 2. On this episode, we have a guest speaker, and we're going to be talking a little bit about how the Greek mythologies have influenced Christianity. We're going to be going through some of the different church teachings or Bible teachings, and we're going to kind of compare uh, where they came from throughout the Greek history. We all know that the God who created everything in six days, who created a firmament, who battled an old Leviathan snake dragon demon, uh, made the Garden of Eden, the Tree of Light, um, there was a big flood, uh, there was a God that went down into hell for three days and then came back, offers eternal life. Um, so we all know obviously who that is. That's the Sumerians who came thousands of years before the Israelites. So that's just another story that's been copied and handed down. So today we're going to talk with the guest Cass. So let's get right into it. So today we're going to talk about a little bit of the influences that the Greek mythology had on Christianity. And today I'm excited to introduce a, a guest who's a, a studied expert into Greek mythology, Cass. Welcome, Cass. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Cass. You can find me online as Atheist Folk Magic. I have been studying Greek mythology for a good 10 years, roundabout. Um, wasn't raised in it, but that was the path I chose until I recently converted into atheism. Well, nice. So let, let's get right into it, and let's look at a couple of the things that we we hear from the Bible, from the churches, from Christians. Um, and let, let's just kind of compare them and see how, if there are any overlaps in what we, what we have to work with. So we, we hear the story of Jesus. He had his 12 disciples, his 12 apostles, you know, he'd call, he'd have them go out into the nations and spread the gospel, sending the word of God through the people on foot. And he'd have, uh, yeah, so he'd have them, uh, he had specifically 12 apostles, 12 disciples, and he had them going amongst the people. So how does that ring any bells with Greek mythology? Yeah, so we see with uh, Hermes, he is the god of travel, and he would send messages from Zeus. Zeus was the king of Olympus. But we also see um, in Greek mythology, we see the 12 Olympians, which are Zeus, Ada, Poseidon, Demeter, Athena, Apollo, Artemis, Ares, Hephaestus, Aphrodite, Hermes, and then depending on which myths you read and who they're written by, we'll tell you either Hestia is the last one or Dionysus. So that really varies depending on myths, but we have our uh, 12 Olympians who were to, I wouldn't say they were the main gods, but they are the more mainstream gods. Um, I wouldn't say there's any more important gods because there's over 3,000. Nyx had 3,000 kids herself, so... Um, but you will definitely hear about the 12 Olympians, uh, plus Hades. 
um, more than you would say the rest of the lesser known gods. Right. And so uh, is there any parallels between traveling amongst the people spreading the word? Yeah, Hermes uh, had winged sandals um, in his mythology, and he would send messages to the people from Zeus, uh, much as the traveling apostles would spread the gospel. I wouldn't say Hermes was spreading like a gospel of Zeus, but was letting the people know what Zeus was saying on Olympus because people could not go to Olympus. Um, so Hermes was kind of the middleman between Zeus and the rest of the gods and the mortal world. And I, I find that kind of fascinating that you had the 12 Olympians and that you had the name of actually 13 people. You knew 11 for sure. And then 12 is either this one or that one. And most, I mean, I would say that most Christians, most people don't even know the 12 disciples. They could probably get through about two thirds of the list and then they just don't know anymore. So it, it, it's kind of interesting that we have the overlap of the 12. Um, but then so we, we move on to another story that I think is pretty famous from the Bible. And that's a story of Sodom and Gomorrah, where God was angry at a town. So he sent his messengers or his angels to a guy named Lot and his wife and kids to get them to leave the town because um, he was going to destroy the town. And Lot and his wife uh, or and his family were, were being spared. Um, it was, I guess, Abraham's distant cousin or something, but Abraham pleaded with God to at least spare lot after they couldn't find 50 good people or 40 good people or 10 good people. So finally, uh, Abraham argued with God and said, at least let me get, you know, my family out of there so that the family flees as the town's being destroyed and the messengers told Lot and his family, whatever you do, don't look back. Don't look back. And the wife looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. Um, so that, that's a pretty interesting story from the Bible. Uh, do you have anything like that? Yeah, uh, I think the most famous myth had a musical written about it would be Orpheus and Eurydice. Um, the musical written about it is Hades Town. It's a very nice musical, would recommend. Um, but in the story of Orpheus and Eurydice, Eurydice um, was uh, bitten by a snake and she was sent to Hades, which is the underworld. I know I brought Hades up for a little bit, but that is for the end. Um, but she went down to Hades uh, in Tartarus um, and Orpheus so desperately wanted his wife back that he went down to Hades um, and sat in front of the god Hades and sat in front of Persephone, the queen of the underworld, and sang to them, sang so beautifully that Hades and Persephone convinced, were so convinced and so moved by what he had to say that uh, they made an agreement to let Eurydice go, but under one condition, which is that Orpheus had to wait until Eurydice made it on back onto Earth. Um, before he could look back and see his wife. So uh, because Eurydice was a little bit on the weaker side, Orpheus made it up to Earth first. And Orpheus, when he made it to the light of Earth, uh, Eurydice was still in Hades. So he looked back um, and because she wasn't out of Hades yet, 
she was sucked back into Hades and was condemned to live there forever. And then Orpheus sang songs in the woods, and then the cult of Dionysus killed him. Wow. So it sounds like we kind of have a common message between both of these like fantastic stories. They're both like wildly mythological and all these mystical, magical things are going on, but we seem to have a common theme between them. Um, yeah. In Greek mythology, patience was one of the most important virtues. Um, and that derives from the story. So I think that follows a lot through other religions. Yeah, definitely patience. And then don't look back. If you're told to do something, they tell you don't look back. Just do not look back. So it, it, it's a lot of uh, stories that seem to just tell us basic common sense things, but they give you a big extravagant story just to drive the nail home. Um, yeah, I think it's a lot of like fear mongering type feel. You see that with both Sodom and Gomorrah and Orpheus and Eurydice. Um, just a lot of uh, emphasizing the uh, a blind obedience. Right. Um, so there's another story that we have in the Bible, um, Samson. And Samson in the Bible was this basically a strong man. He had supernatural power, like strength, where he would go from town to town or go to different temples, and he would literally tear them down with his bare hands, knocking stuff over. And he just had all this superhuman strength until his hair was cut off and then he lost all of his power. So the Bible has a strong man story. Um, what is the Greek mythology have for us? So um, commonly known as Hercules, however, that is his Roman name. His Greek name is Heracles. Um, he had to do 12 labors. You will notice 12 a lot here. That was uh, a sacred number back in the time. But um, Heracles had 12 labors to do, and one of them was defeating the Nemean lion. And we see plenty of statues of Samson um, holding a lion's jaw open, just as uh, Heracles did to kill it. Um, Heracles did many other things. He was strong. He was also a demigod. Um, he's got an entire Disney film about him. And it shows a lot of what he did, uh, finding his way. And the 12 labors were to prove that he was worthy. Nice. So going back to the Bible, we're, we're just moving right along here. Um, obviously, one of the main characters in the Bible, uh, arguably the most important, is Jesus, who is known as the, the way, the truth, or the light. He's the God of light. Um, there's a verse that calls him the light bringer, the light bearer. Um, and then you, you see Jesus most uh, famously with the crown of thorns. Like he's got, you know, thorn shrubbery wrapped around his head. Um, is, is there something in Greek that would match that description? Definitely. We see um, the crown most notably with Apollo, the god of light. Um, Apollo was also the god of many other things, medicine, plagues, archery, um, cattle, but his most notable thing was the god of light. Um, and he wore an olive branch crown that was uh, similar to what you would see as the crown of thorns. 
Nice. So in both of them, we have a God of light. We've got, uh, you know, some sort of a nature-esque, uh, uh, a nature-made crown. Um, so then also, uh, one of the things that Jesus did, there was a story where Jesus was at a wedding reception and the reception, the party afterwards, they ran out of wine for the party. So Jesus went over to some jugs of water and did some sort of magic. Like we'd, we'd call that witchcraft, some sort of magic and turn the, the water into wine. So that was one of his miracles was turning it from water into wine. Does that have a parallel into Greek? Definitely. You will most notably see it as Dionysus. Um, I think a lot when I was a Hellenic pagan, which is uh, the study of Greek mythology um, and practicing it as a religion, you will see um, a lot of Hellenic pagans making the joke that Jesus and Dionysus are the same um, because Dionysus is the god of wine and the god of partying. Um, but as the god of wine, he showed people how to grow grapes and then turn them into wine rather than just doing it for them. But you also have another parallel between uh, Dionysus and Jesus um, is that they were both born on December 25th on Saturnalia. Um, historically, Jesus likely would have been born in September, but um, Christians have made it. So he was born around the same time as Dionysus and some other gods like Jesus is parallel to the Egyptian god Horus. Well, nice. Um so moving on a little bit from Jesus, let's go back to the original Bible characters. We have Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, the perfect paradise on earth, but they had a forbidden tree with this magical forbidden fruit. Um, and Eve partook of the fruit and then gave it to Adam. And because of this, now all of a sudden we have sin in the world. It's like that because they ate the apple all of the sudden now there's evil all over the world because of Adam and Eve. So is there a Greek story that has a similar basis? I would say that there's two that would fall under certain similarities. Uh, the first one is the judgment of Paris. Um, we have the goddess of discord or discordia, which is Eris. Um, she was not invited to one of the parties held by the gods. So she sent down an apple labeled to the fairest. And um, this was to be uh, between uh, Athena, Aphrodite, and Etta. Um, and Paris had chosen Aphrodite. Um, and that is the reason that Troy fell. This started the war between uh, Athens um, and the Greeks and Troy. And we see the other myth that very closely relates to the um, release of bad things into the world, um, which would be Pandora and Pandora's box. So Pandora and her box was uh, sent down by the gods. Her box was sent down by Zeus um, and other gods had put things in there. And she was told specifically, do not open it. Do not open it under any circumstances. Curiosity killed the cat. And she opened it and it released all of the evil in the world, all of the bad things we see in the world. But one good thing was left, and that is hope. So we see with the Bible that they ate the apple and they released sin, right? But they had knowledge. Wow. So that, that's two amazing stories of somewhat opening the gates of hell to earth, really. Yeah, wow. essentially. So then... 
in the Bible, um, they, they say, of course, you know, there's there's a devil guy, the Satan, Lucifer, um, and he's the one who tempted Eve. He was supposed to be the serpent, although that I've discussed this before and it, it's not the case, but that's the, the church narrative or the Christian narrative, but not necessarily the biblical narrative that there's this devil guy. But we, we see the devil, you know, today, the devil, Satan, Lucifer, they're all the same person, this big red being with horns. And he's got this uh, this pitchfork and he he's like ruling over hell, this fire consumed place where he's going to torture you forever. Um, even though that ideology came from uh, the Divine Comedy, which was written by Dante a long, long time ago. There was a play done that uh, kind of took all these tidbits of information and created this one character that a lot of just a lot of people, Christians, atheists, whatever, all alike, um, they have this picture in their mind that came from Dante's Inferno. Um, so we've got this devil guy with a pitchfork. Um, how does that compare to the Greek stories? Yeah, so uh, most notably, we see Poseidon with a pitchfork. Um, Poseidon and his son Triton, um, more carried by Triton, but they were super similar in like physical attributes. You probably couldn't tell the difference unless you were well versed in Greek mythology and what their different mythos were. But a lot of imagery of the devil actually comes from Poseidon, which seems weird to most people when you first think about it, because Poseidon is the god of the oceans, god of the water. But Poseidon was notably the most moody, violent, greedy, and bad-tempered um, god there was, um, at least in my opinion, um, excluding the Medusa story, because Medusa's story um, was actually written, uh, the most mainstream one was written by a Roman author and not a Greek one, um, was written by Ovid. But we see uh, Poseidon being just petty um, when he lost uh, owning the city of Athens to Athena. Um, and some myths say he flooded it, and some say he dr uh, gave it drought um, until they uh, named the building on the Acropolis after him, Posadina. Um, and another way we see Poseidon uh, be, uh, be a little bit more aggressive, I wouldn't say, I mean, to me, this was like rightfully deserved. But we see in the Odyssey, we see Odysseus uh, injures and blinds one of Poseidon's sons, Polyphemus, um, who is a cyclops. Uh, and Poseidon sent storms that were so dangerous uh, that should have killed Odysseus and sent Odysseus and his crew onto many different islands, um, like the island that harbors uh, Scylla and the Carbidus, um, and also lands them on the island of Sicily. Interesting. So we have two like very powerful, very angry, uh, irritable, mischievous, godlike creatures who are, you know, both seen as tough and a force to be reckoned with, where they're very identical in that regard. They're they've taken polar opposites by one is kind of a god of fire and the other one's the god of water or the oceans. So it, it's kind of neat to see how we've uh we copied, but we're also exact opposites from each other. Um, I think that's yeah. kind of fascinating. Yeah, um, definitely. 
And then I think this next part uh, is going to be the most fascinating for a lot of people when we talk about hell um, and we're, we're going to kind of talk about hell and Hades. So in the Bible, in the New Testament, many times it'll say hell interchangeably with the word Hades. Um, but the word hell comes from numerous different uh, parts in the Old Testament. If you look up the original Hebrew that got translated into Greek, which then got translated into English, we've got words like Sheol, which is the grave, the pit, where you live, your body literally goes when you die. It goes into the ground. Um, we've got uh, Gehana, which is the, the valley where people will burn all their trash. Um, we've got a place, uh, this is more found in the New Testament, but it's tar Tartarus or Tartarus, where the demons go to get punished. And that's where you hear there'll be gnashing of teeth and breaking of bones and stuff like that. Um, so when we get to the New Testament, all of these terminologies have been conflated into one big place. They've just tried to simplify what all these different little things mean, and they just present it as the same place. So if we look in the Bible in Revelations, uh, I believe it's chapter 20, where it talks about um, hell and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. This will be the second death. So when it says Hades again there, um, it still it says hell and Hades or Satan and Hades, whichever your, uh, interpretation of the Bible you use, um, it still uses the phrase Hades. And I'm pretty sure that Hades is based in Greek mythology, isn't it? Most definitely. I think it's important to uh, remember that Hades um, is the name of the underworld, um, but it translates from Greek to English, uh, not to Hades most of the time. In a lot of translations, it translates to prison. You see that in like the New King James. Um, it's also important to mention that Hades uh, is not the name of the god. We see the name Hades for the god because people were so scared to say his name. They thought it was an omen of death, so they referred to him as the name of the underworld. And his name has been lost with time. But when you were talking about Tartarus, Tartarus is a place, and that is the uh, afterlife of torture, right? That is the worst place to go. But you also have places that are not as bad because everybody goes to Hades. It's just the afterlife. Um, we have uh, Asphodel Meadows, which is like the middle ground. Like if you weren't like a terrible person, but you weren't like a super good one. And then we have Elysium Fields, which uh, is paradise. Uh, best place you could be unless you were uh, gifted by the gods. And then you would go to Mount Olympus and work under them. But most people ended up in Asphodel Meadows. Um, and you see in the Bible, they talk about a lake of fire a lot. Um, and that most uh, conflates with Philegaton, uh, which is the river of fire in Hades. But you see some other rivers in there. We have River Styx, the river of hatred, uh, Lethe, the river of oblivion and forgetfulness, uh, Aterion, uh, the river of woe and misery, and Cactus, uh, which is the river of wailing. Um, so you might hear Philegaton or Styx uh, pretty interchangeably. Um, and we see Hades uh, sometimes as depicted as the devil and rules hell. Um, but again, a lot of the uh, more modern uh, imagery does come from Poseidon. 
Um, but when we see Hades or we see Persephone as the ruler of hell, and it's important to know that Persephone ruling Hades um, was is the ruler. She was not someone to be pushed around. A lot of people see her as this dainty goddess of spring, but she really wasn't. She was the goddess of torture. Wow, so that's that's a lot of good information. So Hades is actually the name for the entire next life. It's not just like we see it as the fire and brimstone, the flames everywhere, volcanoes erupting. I mean, just this horrible, horrible place. But it's it's just the whole entire next life. I mean, th that's something I didn't I didn't really know. I always picture even in Greek that Hades was the uh, a torturous place of, you know, a place of torment. But it kind of sounds a little bit like in Norse mythology, everybody talks about going to Valhalla and that's Odin's special place in Asgard. But Asgard is the afterlife. So when you hear Hades, the, the original meaning isn't a place of torment. It's just Asgard, the whole city, and in the city, so to speak, there's all these little divisions where you have great places, you've got horrible places. So that's actually really yeah. interesting to find out. Yeah, especially with uh, Hades, we find a lot of myths that focus on Hades. We have the myth of Hades and Persephone. Um, we have the myth of how Hades got his domain. We have, again, Orpheus and Eurydice. Um, we have so many myths that revolve around the underworld, um, and that's not to leave it as a super mysterious place. Well, that's that's actually really exciting. Um, and I, I, I heard you say um, that Hades, again, it's not like the, the, the guy in charge of Hades. Um, his name isn't actually Hades. Um, we, we've lost his name. So they were scared to say his name. So is that that something like with Harry Potter and you're not supposed to say Voldemort and stuff like that? Yeah, it's essentially the same concept. And because a lot of it was oral tradition for a long time until it was written down, his name is just kind of lost through time. I still think, though, with Hellenic pagans, um, even if we did know his name, I'm not sure that that would be a common practice to say his name anyways. Yeah, because I know I know there's a lot of different uh theologies mythologies out there where you're it, it's you're doomed to say the name like there there's a another name um nacho leve or something that or naga leve it, it's this skinless horse man devil being that if you say his name he's going to come and get you and i actually know people who refuse to say the name out loud they won't even spell it out in one sentence so yeah you see that in a lot of uh native american mythologies i am part native so um we have things uh Skin that do be walking is the best way I'm going to put it because I, I still fall under my superstitions of not saying it. Yeah. Um, so. Well, that, that's very interesting. So I hope everybody listening to this can kind of see that a lot of this stuff that comes that that's in the Bible has come from so many outside sources. I know I've talked about in a couple podcasts back about some overlaps with the plagues of Egypt and the Egyptian gods. Um, but I think on, on uh, one of my next episodes, 
I'm going to invite Cass back if she wants to come back, and maybe we can talk a little bit about the Egyptian influences into Christianity. Yeah, absolutely. There are so many parallels between Jesus and Horus. I mean, the entire myths like line up almost perfectly, so I think it would be a fun episode. Yeah, because we know the Egyptians... They had an afterlife. They had at some point, I know they had a Satan. They had, you know, they had all kinds of stuff. So it should be fun to talk about. So we'll definitely have you back to talk about that. But thank you for uh, giving us the Greek rundown. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Okay, that's it for today. Uh, Thank you for listening. Tell your friends and come back for more of Dwight Explains the Bible Season 2.